I know that. We've talked. So, you know, again, heart for the house is part of offering. It's not part of tithe. But you all know that. We've taught on that before. Back to, are, are these the end tithe? Uh, end times. Revelation, we're, we're in 16, uh, 16th chapter of Revelation now. And there's 22 chapters in this book. And we're going to get to all 22. Next week is Mother's Day. And we're going to do a special message for Mother's Day. So we'll jump out of the book of Revelation, do a Mother's Day message, jump back in on chapter 17 in two weeks. So that's, you'll kind of have a little bit of a, a know of like that. And um, how many moms are in the building or grandmothers or whatever? And how many have a pack of youngins or grandkids? And if they're not going to church anywhere, how many wish they were at least coming to honor you and get to church? You know, I'm not raising my hand now. <laughs> Big dinners on Mother's Day? Anybody? Yes? Do, guys, do we make mom cook on Mother's Day? You're supposed to say no. <laughs> no, we have to figure that out, don't we? That's our, that's our time. So you got a whole week's notice, fellas, to take care of mom. All right. <clears throat> Revelation 16. This, you know, if I had a subtitle for this, Sowing and Reaping. So um, whatever you sow, you'll also reap. The Bible says as long as the earth remains, there's seed time and harvest. Sowing and reaping. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Uh, and we've all heard some of these sayings, and, and so I'll say them and you'll go, oh, yeah. What goes around comes around. We've heard that. Uh, your chickens will come home to roost. I've not really heard that much, but you know. Your chickens, I have to talk to my sister. She runs and owns chickens. They will come home to roost. Okay, uh, here's another one. An eye for an eye. Karma. And as a culture, we've been introduced to principles in these areas and how they work. Like, you know, how farming, sowing and reaping. What the farmer puts in the ground is what he gets. He plants corn, he expects corn. He doesn't expect wheat when he puts corn in the field. And if he only plants an acre, sometimes, you know, sometimes we, we don't, think like farmers think we want a, a hundred yield crop with an acre but we have to begin to sow the bible says if you give generously you receive that you know we can we control actually how the harvest comes in for us if we do if we sparingly if we're just like eh. but it, it is a principle it's a law turn to your neighbor and say it's a law you can't change a law it is just how that works. There, there is a law in, in this world called gravity. I can say I don't believe in gravity. We all know gravity works. If I did a swan dive off of this. But there's no sense in steel hitting. No, okay. But uh, anyway, it doesn't matter because the only thing that would change the law, and it doesn't change, so let me rephrase that. The only thing that it would supersede the law is the law of lift. That's how a plane can fly because it taps into the law of lift that supersedes gravity. Gravity is still there. It just goes past that. We need to understand sowing and reaping. Sometimes we just think, you know, God just makes a special deal for me. It's not how that works. He has laws, and the laws are in place, and so we need to understand all that. We understand farming because of sowing and reaping a little bit. Physics, Eastern philosophy, and that's with all the isms and all the different things uh, that we've learned. You know, I'm not saying we agree with them, and most of them, as a culture in Christianity, we might not agree with, but I'm just saying there's things out there that we have been aware of because of these things. And the Bible, then, is mixed in, and because... 
the way it's mixed in or the way it's been portrayed is come across wrong to some if we don't know the heart behind it. Have you ever text something, but your heart was saying something else, but the way the text came, they took it as something else because they can't hear or see the inflection of your, your heart or your voice. It just comes across, sometimes it's like cold or just, sometimes people will read what is truth and it comes across as not love, but if they could understand the Father, they would understand the love behind it. So, saying all that, let's just keep moving forward. Everybody has a little bit of knowledge or experience in what goes around, comes around. If we've had children, we've taught our children. Be nice, because if you're not nice, people will, will not be nice to you. you know, if, uh, so, it is, there are principles out there. It's, sometimes it's hard if we're on the other end. Have you ever had a server treat you not so well? Or been at a merchant store or somewhere, and they evidently must be having a bad day, and you didn't come to help it. And they're rude, or they're curt, and you, you want inside to be like, let me talk to a manager. Have you ever felt that way? I cannot be the only person that has ever felt that way. Or, but then some, you know, sometimes you just have to make that point to say, it's going to get better. I'm going to help this day instead of make it worse. Have you ever felt that way? It's happened to me. It's happened to Pastor Kim as well. Last week, we left off with heaven preparing the final judgments of the world, those seven bowls of God's wrath. And his wrath, we found out, isn't crazy. It's not out of control. He isn't just hulking out here. He hasn't just lost his temper. We, we found out it is described as just and fair. Now, remember what's in these bowls that's about to be poured out. It began with the grapes of man's wickedness. In other words, now think about what we're talking about. This is the stuff that man has done. They just they didn't, didn't care about God, not going to care about. And no matter what God has done to try to get them to repent, they have refused. And so these are the grapes of man's wickedness. And once they're ripened, they're gathered into a wine press. That's his wrath. And if you remember, it's, it's, God is getting all of that juice. He's crushed those grapes and that wine or what has happened, that wickedness is being now poured. That's what the production of what man was done. It's going to be poured back on him. That's what God is doing. Again, think about what we're talking about. Seed time and harvest. What goes around comes around. It is the completion of the cycle. In a sense, it's the circle of life. No. <laughs> All right, I got carried away. But what is happening is they're going to reap what they've already sown. And his judgment seems what, somewhat severe, but remember we've already read, his forgiveness is proclaimed to the whole world. And everyone hears. They're just, you know, there's people that are just, and you, we've all known people, they just live in denial. And that's not the river in Egypt. They just live there. They refuse anything that God is doing. But the world is given a choice, forgiveness or fairness. And I kind of didn't think of it like that. You know, we, we talk about heaven or hell. We're, we have that choice now. And so all of this, what we're talking about and all of that, if we're a believer now, it can be avoided for us because this is, we'll be, with, we'll be in heaven. 
with the rapture. How many like that idea? I don't, I don't want to have to go through this bold judgment stuff. Forgiveness or fairness. So this is what I'm saying. They either allow Jesus to drink the cup of God's wrath for them, or if you're here for you, or you drink it yourself. You drink your own cup. The warnings have been given. Decisions have been made. Now it's time to reap. God has got everything down to its time. Did you know this? Can I say this? The devil hates deadlines. Let me explain. Have you ever just said, okay, God, I'm believing, I'm, I'm praying, and I'm believing, and whatever. I'm going to, no matter what, I'm doing this. And God give, gave you something, an unction in your spirit, or just, you know, a real prompting, if you want to know what an unction is, just like, a, mm, I, need to, I just need to do that. And you just make up your mind, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do it by this. Let me, let me even get to the man side of it. Say you want to lose weight. <laughs> Somebody out in the crowd. <laughs> but let's say you put, I want to lose, you know, I like goals, so I set goals for myself. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll like, okay, I want to do this. And sometimes I hit them, sometimes I don't. But I like, because one thing's for sure, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it. So I want to I aim at something. So I say, okay, I'm going to do this, and I put a date on it. When we do things for God, the, the devil hates that kind of, because he'll do everything he can to, to get you off track, to get you off the rails, to get you, because he hates a deadline. He hates that. He hates somebody that comes in and is going to enforce the law. Can I say in your homes, if God is your king, he will use you to follow and to do justice in your home as the law. You will be the authority, his authority, delegated to you. Let me make it even, this is how important authority is. I've had people call me and say, Pastor, I need you to come to the house because we're seeing things, we're hearing things. Things are happening, we bought this house, da-da-da-da-da, in this room, it's just, you know, and, and that's kind of creepy. They can't explain it, they, they told me all this stuff Will you come and I need you to go in that room? You know, if you want to know the truth, I don't want to go in that room. I mean, you know, clear is not my favorite color. So, but, but they, they asked me this question. They said, when you go in that room, will whatever is in there that's doing whatever it's doing, will it leave? And I said, absolutely will leave. They said, are you sure? I said, I'm absolutely positive. Why? Because the authority delegated to me by Jesus Christ who died on that cross said, I have power over whatever is in that room. So when I go in that room, I cleanse that room, and all of a sudden they're like, it's awesome. It, we, we don't hear anything anymore. But here's the thing. I'm not going to live there. I'm going to go back to my house. And that's what I tell the people that live there because they are the priests of their home. Come on, somebody. They are the kings and queens of their home. You're going to have to enforce the law. And the devil does not like that because, come on, he's under you. Revelation 16.1, I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your way, 
Go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. So the first angel left the temple, poured out his bowl on the earth, and horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Now the first bowl is ugly, festering sores. And it only affects the people that took the mark of the beast. So this is an interesting point. The mark says you cannot buy or sell without it. Chapter 13, the Antichrist orders anyone who doesn't get the mark can't buy or sell. We talked last week about, you know, there's people now that are saying maybe all this stuff's going on now as a precursor or just they're trying to get us our mindset ready. You got to wear a mask, can't buy or sell without a mask, can't go in without a mask, must wear a mask, da-da-da-da-da. Got to have the vaccine. If you don't have the vaccine, you're putting everybody at risk. And, and there are people who just, you know, and... People, you know, there's, I know some of you are like, what do you think? I think there, there, could be some, there could be some truth to that. But you need to grab a hold of what God says. If I don't have to wear my mask, I'm not wearing it. It's just that. So for me, I mean, I'll wear it to respect other people. I'll do, but my heart is, we, we went uh, out of town on Friday, and where we went, it says, mask required for entry. But the people working there didn't have it on. So Pastor Kim and I said, heck with that. I stuck the mask in my pocket. What are they going to do? The people working there aren't wearing it. I'm not wearing it. All right, enough of my rebellion. Okay. Interesting point, though. You can't buy or sell. Um, Those that follow God don't get marked with festering sores. So by not getting marked, you're marked, because everybody around you that took the mark has got festering sores. Pretty evident if you don't have them. It says the mark that they would give you would be put on their right hand or forehead so that no one can buy or sell without it. So that's easy to see. So in a sense, if you're a believer and you don't have that mark and you don't have sores, people are going to be just interesting. I just was, I was writing that. I thought that was. So theories spring out from this. Because when that happens, it starts, oh, cashless society then. The one world order. I mean, if you're watching the Marvel, the new series, there's uh, one world, one people. I mean, they say that a couple times in, in this new series. And it's just, you know, I get it. We are people. But the only world I want to be in is God's. There's all kinds of theories. Cashless society, microchip implants that work like your debit card. In other words, they want to, they, they already chip animals, but they want to put chips in people so you don't have to carry a card. And you, guess where they want to put it? Your hand, your wrist. Maybe, you know, the Antichrist, he's going to try to rescue the world from economic disaster. He's going to come in and say, I can fix all of this with his new payment system. But this freaks people out. Because they start getting all carried away. You can't have tattoos. Tattoos is a mark. I don't agree with that. I think there's scripture that says God has you tattooed on the palm of his hand. There are people that are, I can't get my dog chipped. That's between you and God. I, I don't know. You know, I'm not concerned about a chip on my dog. Beware of Apple Pay. Just thought I'd throw that in. 
But anything, people could just, they'll start, oh, this could be related to the mark of the beast. And, and we just have to walk. Now, listen to me. We have to walk daily with him. Because daily, there are attacks on, on the kingdom. Because it is, it is the enemy's, that's what he wants. Get everybody in fear, depression, deceiving many as we speak. He's trying but it is staying connected, come on, to the Father, staying connected to the Lamb, staying connected to the truth, staying connected to the Word, that I can't be duped because my spirit won't line up with something that doesn't line up with that. Even if I don't understand it, that does. So if that and God is much bigger than me, and that is true, then I stand under it, and I don't have to worry about things that I don't quite get the grip on all of that. To make it even clearer, there's things as I grew up that I didn't understand that weren't good for me. You do not put a fork in a light socket. <laughs> Why, mama? Because I... You will not like the result of that. If I did that, she would go, tried to tell you. Maybe she wouldn't do that, <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I would have to lean, come on, Proverbs talks about it, not on my own understanding, but I would lean on my parents, and in all my ways as a child, I would acknowledge that they knew best. It is the same with Father God. You do not know everything, no matter how smart you think you are. Trust in Him. Lean on Him. You know, God has a way of marking his chosen. We even talked about that chapters before. It'll be pretty evident, I'm sure, those that follow and have accepted Jesus. Revelation 16, 2. So the first angel left the temple and he poured out his bowl on the earth. The horrible malignant source broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Now, I wanted to say that again because they were punished if they had the mark. Now, listen, and it, there's in my Bible, it says, and worshipped his statue. Those two kind of go together, and I want to explain. In other words, the mark is evidence, is fruit of who they worship. Think about what I just said. The mark is evidence of who they worship. What I'm saying, yeah, avoid the mark of the Antichrist. You don't want that. But what I'm also saying, God is showing us this is a heart issue. It's what they worship and why. The Bible's full of all kinds of things. Worship has always been the real issue. Now let's think about this. That's what, isn't that what he got kicked out of heaven for, the enemy? The devil got kicked out because he had those five eyes. I can do that. I'm, 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 I'm. And what did he do to Jesus? Come up here. You see all this? You can have this because it was given to me. Who gave it to him? The enemy. Adam gave it to the enemy. And Jesus came so he could take it back. But Satan was trying to tempt Jesus with what? If you'll just what? Worship me. That's what he's after. That's his bottom line. The enemy is after worship. Let's talk about money. Oh, don't talk about money. Okay, we will. Great. <clears throat> money isn't evil 
Money is just a tool. You know, for us to do renovations in this, we want to put a two-story playscape, you know, or something really cool inside Kidstown. I don't yet know what all those cost. I have an idea because I researched them a few years ago, but now we're getting closer to the point where we're going to look into it. We got estimates on what it costs to paint the building, estimates on what it costs to redo the parking lot. To redo the parking lot the way we want is almost 140 grand. I didn't come up with that. I get to read the estimate, and the guy is wonderful. When do you want to start? I'll let you know. But I could tell him, and he was like amazed. I said, everything that you see, we own. The only thing that we owe on is the first mortgage of this building. God already paid the other one off in three years, and everything inside is debt-free. He's like, that is amazing. I'm like, that is God. And it's not for anybody in here's glory, but for God's glory. And if God did it once, I'm going to say it, he can do it again. And when it's time to redo the lot and get it all done, we'll have what we need to get it done. But until he says do that, he wants us to do some other things. It doesn't really matter because my God doesn't have a short arm. He's got a deep pocket. And listen, money isn't evil. Money is just a tool. The Bible says the love of money, the worship of money. Because when we love anything that replaces the love of God, it becomes idolatry. In other words, it's an idol. But if we're believers and we love anything really more than God, it really becomes adultery. Because then we're really cheating on God. In the Old Testament, God tells his people, if you love your idols, I'm going to just turn you over to them. Basically, he says, let them save you then. You will reap what you sow. And that's what's happening as we read this book of Revelation. The mark, the sign of idol worship, turns into, at this point, ugly festering sores. Revelation 16, 3 and 6. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and everything in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out the bowl uh, on the rivers and the springs, and they became blood. And I heard the angel who had authority over all waters saying, you are just, holy one, who is and who always was, because you have sent these judgments since they shed blood of your body, since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, you have given them blood to drink. It is their just reward. Now, you might be saying like, I mean, you're reading this, and it's like, those are some harsh judgments. I mean, just the thought of, the water's turning blood and everything in the water's dying. Have you ever been around a pond where there's a lot of dead fish? Or, now my mom and dad, well, my dad used to be a frogger. Do you know what a frogger is? A frogger, it's not the game. A frogger is what he did, him and Uncle Tom was a frogger too. They, they were frogging buddies. They were knee deep in it. <laughs> I'll be here all week. <laughs> anyway, they would go and they would catch frogs in the rivers and stuff at night. They'd bring them back. And then me and Crunch, me and my sister, we got the glory to God, got to clean them. I still have nightmares about that. But we'd clean all these frogs. Then they would have a frogging party and everybody would come over and they would eat these frog legs. And you've always probably heard this. They taste like chicken. 
and they kind of do. Uh, but my point is, they, if you clean frogs or fish and leave it out at any time, it, let me say it in King James, stinketh. <laughs> it smelleth badeth. <laughs> no, no good. So can you imagine the stench from that? All the waters turned to blood. Just, you know, isn't that like in the plagues of Egypt? Think about that. Moses, let my people go. And then there's these plagues. And one of those was turning the water into blood. This angel says, since they shed blood, they're going to drink blood. The Bible, blood symbolizes life. God said repeatedly, don't drink blood. I mean, Blood, there's such an important thing, nothing but the blood, the blood of Jesus, the bloodline. Jesus poured out his blood. His blood was shed. Blood is very important. It is not anything lightly done. In the Old Testament, there were sacrifices of many different kinds of animals for different things. And Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice that covered it all by the pouring out on purpose of his blood. The covenant that you have was ratified and made by the blood of the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God, John the Baptist says, who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus' blood has eternal life because he gives it, because he gave his life. If you search for life anywhere but through Jesus... You can't find it. In this time, there is no other way, and there is no other way now. But in this, it becomes so, so evident. Right now, the choice is it's easy to make. Let's move on. Revelation 16, 7. I heard a voice from the altar saying, Yes, O Lord, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. You see, the altar, the place of sacrifice, it's a picture of the cross, Jesus paid the price for us, and those who refuse to accept the price that he paid on Calvary, they have to pay their own. His judgments are true and just. Again, he is doing everything he can to say, here is the way, walk in it. People ask this question, what about those who didn't know or ever hear of Jesus or didn't understand? And that's, I think, is a good question, especially in this time, because there's things that have happened there, you know, from babies and different things like that. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12 says, rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to die. Save them as they stagger to their death. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know, for God understands all hearts and he sees you. He who guards your soul knows you knew. He will repay all those, or he will repay all people as their actions deserve. Now, he doesn't change his law. You know, again, I'm just going to tell you what I believe. You have to have the accountability knowledge. You have to be able to put that together to know right and wrong. If you can't discern that, I believe that God, you'll, you'll be in heaven, according to what I believe. Anybody understand what I'm saying? Well, we're, we're all on the same page. Okay. But it is our responsibility as believers to proclaim the gospel, not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because we don't want anybody to have to go through this. And then during now, we're talking tribulation and all this is what we're dealing with now. There's going to be people that are getting saved and they realize the truth and they realize how they'll probably end up leaving 
Remember all of those that are martyred because of their faith now? You can't buy or sell, and, and I mean, it doesn't end well. But they are saying there's still only one way. You see, that doesn't ever change. It is Jesus. You know what's tough is when I, you know, you, I'm like, I don't know how to teach this and do it as well as a. It's, it's no fun in, in ways to teach because there's truth and it weighs heavy. But I believe that all believers have a responsibility to tell the truth about the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. Let me explain something else. When we ask people to get, we're, we're making the invitation to, to become born again. Remember Nicodemus saying, how am I going to enter into my mom's body? Not, you know, I can't do that again. I was already born once. We're talking about the second, but we're talking about being born again of the spirit. Okay? So that's what he's talking about. So as we understand and we say, all right, I want to be born again, and we confess Jesus, the Bible, everything in the kingdom happens that, this way. We, be, we believe, we confess, we do not doubt. That's how things happen in the kingdom. Mark eleven twenty two 22 through 24, you can tell me any verse, we can go, it all has to, the kingdom. When we get saved, that is a great miracle. How did you do it? You believed, you confessed, and you didn't doubt. Is it based on your feelings? It is not based on your feelings. Have you ever had times you didn't feel saved? Oh, yeah. Have you ever had times you didn't act saved? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you all guys are looking at me. Not me. My halo lights up our room. <laughs> doubt it. <laughs> We've all had those human times. I get it. But it's so important that this is what the Bible says. If you confess me before men, in other words, once you get born again, you need to tell somebody. People are like, I don't want to tell anybody. If you are ashamed, that's why I said we are not ashamed of the gospel. If you are ashamed, then you really didn't get saved. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's either bigger than you or he's not. And the Bible says if, you're, if you won't tell others about him, of what he did for you, he will deny you before his father. Now people can go, well, that's, that's harsh. That's just and fair. Revelation 16, 8 says, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. There is no sunscreen that will help that. So they've been poured out, on, out onto the land, the sea, the rivers, and now the sun. All of these, think about it, the sea, the river, the sun. They're, aren't they gifts and blessings from God? And we just take all of this stuff for granted. Who put the sun in the sky? Did you understand that the moon is like the ocean's maid? It causes the tide to come in and out and clean things. Who does that? God does. Who causes the wind to blow the breeze and to take pollen, which there's a lot of it this year. <laughs> I mean, stuff, you know, the bees that go to the flowers and, and take and move things and this and that. And Who does that? God does. And we take so many things for granted. And what happens, even in these, the sun, the stars, the moon, there are people that create idols now and then worship them. 
the bowls kind of put it in perspective. They, they turn it around, but the people don't respond the way you'd think they would respond. It's not good. Revelation 16.9 says, Everyone was burned by the blast of heat. They cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. Bowl number five, same thing happens, 16, 10, and 11. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. His subjects ground their teeth in anguish, and they cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores, but they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. You gotta be kidding me. I'm looking going, what, what, what? You know, there's sometimes you just, we don't even understand sometimes the fathom of the blocks that the enemy puts on people. The, the, the stuff that he blinds them from. You remember Paul? He wrote most of the New Testament. Paul went around killing Christians thinking he was doing God's work. That's twisted. And it took Jesus to go, hey dude, not anymore. And then Paul goes, and now he writes most of the New Testament and says, you know what, I didn't do this right. If there's forgiveness for that, what, what is it with these people? And we are stubborn sometimes. We've all had stubborn or know some stubborn people or know, and you're just like, how many times is this going to take before you get this? I heard this at Provision Conference, and I had to put it in here because I thought it was really funny, and I thought it was so true. Gary's, Pastor Gary's son, Pastor Tim, opened up the whole Provision Conference, and one of the things he said, he said, there's three things you need to learn. If you don't know them, I'm going to tell them to you. And we're, you know, so Pastor Kim and I are sitting there, and he says, God is good. And everybody's like, amen, amen. The devil is bad. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. People are stupid. Think about it. God is good. Yes. The devil is bad. Yes. People are stupid. Yeah. I'm like, what's it going to take? It's simple, but it's true. Man blames God for ruin and messes that he brought on himself. We've talked about this. You've ever told your children or heard somebody say, you made your bed. You know, so it's all of those things. So he blames God, and he brought the stuff on himself. And he was even warned by God, turn, repent. Uh, no. Bowl number six, 16, 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. Now, Euphrates from Turkey through Syria and Iraq is the longest river in Western Asia. And we read here, it was dried up to make ready for the way of the kings from the east. So eastern kings are gathering their troops for battle. And now, some chapters before, we saw 200 million. I mean, they're just getting things ready for this battle. 200 million troops. I mean, that's a lot of troops. Some scholars say possibly China and the east. But if you look at a map, in order for troops to march from Asia into Israel... They got across the Euphrates. So it's dried up. Because they can't, I mean, so I'm, you're like, wow, how? So how? In 1990, the Turks completed the Turk Dam with the power to cut off the Euphrates River completely. And they've already done it before. This is not a fairy tale, my friends. This is things that have been set up that are 
starting to play out. So we are about to find out where this great battle that's brewing is going to take place. Revelation 16, 13 through 16. I saw three evil spirits look like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They're demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for the battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God the Almighty. Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. I'm going to go on for just a second, but I want to talk about this just a second. It's not walking around. I don't believe they're actually saying you're going to walk around with a knapsack on with a change of clothes in it. I think we're talking about spiritually here. We're talking about you need to be ready so that you know where you stand and what you stand for. Come on. Let me just say this. Even in in the natural, this nation, this American nation is free, but it costs those that have people in the armed service or new people that served our country, come on. There was a price for freedom. Thank God Jesus paid the price for us. <clears throat> so 16 is telling us the location of the final battle over the earth as we know it, as we know the earth as we know it today, I guess, so to speak. Armageddon doesn't mean the end of the world. Armageddon, it is a place there's a valley in Israel between Jerusalem and Nazareth. Now, think about this, Jesus of Nazareth. So you've got an idea. Now we're getting a little, this, he was born here. Here's Jerusalem. Remember, he wept over the city. And there's all of this that's happening. But anyway, uh, it is called Megiddo. It has been the field of battle for other things as well, other times as well. Four times in the Bible, over 200 times, it's been just a battlefield in general in history. So some scholars see this symbolic. They, they see this as basically, this is high noon. This is the fight at the OK Corral, if you're a cowboy, so to speak. This is, I mean, things are going down. It's about to happen. You know, this is, this is really going to go on. It's the location of the final showdown. So why do these kings gather for battle? To fight Israel or to fight the Antichrist? We're going to see, ultimately... And we're going to see it here as we continue this. It's against Jesus. That's what the battle's against. Now think about what Satan wants. We have one more bowl left. It's the seventh. And remember, it's completion. A loud voice declares. Look at 1721. Seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple, saying, It is finished. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. Then the thunder crashed and rolled, and lightning flashed, and a great earthquake struck, and the worst, now listen, the worst since people were placed on the earth. So since the earth, as long as the earth was here, since people were alive on the earth, this is the worst. The great city of Babylon split into three sections and the cities of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins and he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath and every island disappeared and all the mountains were leveled. There was a terrible hailstorm and hailstorms, now think about this, hailstorms weighing as much as 75 pounds. 
pieces. Of, can you imagine a 75-pound hail hitting anything? That's, that's terrible. Um, let me go find out where I left off here because I just got out of 75 pounds. So, all right. I, I'm getting there. Uh, nation fell in the battle sin, made a drink, and disappeared, and the mountains leveled. Oh, there we are. Fell from the sky into the people below. They cursed, again, they cursed God because of this terrible plague of the hailstorm. So this isn't a soothing storm. I mean, where do you hide from a 75-pound hail ball that's coming at you? And, and one would be one thing, but have you ever been caught in a hailstorm? It's not fun. I mean, we had a hailstorm one time out at the other house, and uh, the, the barn I had could fit about six cars in. We got, the, the kids, we got all the cars in the barn because they were like, damaging hail is coming, you know, and they were, oh, I don't know, you know, about the size of a marble, almost, it seemed like, but our cars were safe because they were 75 pounds, though, would not have saved that. I mean, and it's just coming down. How many got to play out in the rain when you were a kid? I got to play out in the rain when I was a kid, as long as it wasn't lightning and and, the, and sometimes thunder would be like, oh, I don't know, she'll make me come in. But if there wasn't any lightning, sometimes that was okay. Anybody else? And, and that was kind of fun. This isn't one of those times. This isn't one of those, oh, this is, this is a nasty, the nastiest storm ever. It's the greatest earthquake the world has ever known splits Jerusalem into three parts. Verse 19, God remembers Babylon and the great, or Babylon the great, and gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fury of his wrath. So who is Babylon? And why does she drink the cup of his wrath? We're going to talk about that, but I can't get it all in one service. So we got to wait two weeks. It's like a cliffhanger in a series. What I'm trying to tell you is, you know, this is amazing stuff. This is like stuff that we see in the movies, but this is actually going to happen. So as I get some altar music on for me here just a second, and just I want you just to listen to your heart. I'm not making any of it up. If you had your Bible or saw on the screen, you can go to and read everything I said. If you find anything I said that was not true... It was not my heart to do that, but I am human. I have given you some things that are, are my, my inflection on them of what I think is what that means or for what I've studied. Study it yourself. That's your job. Look at it yourself. But you got to say to yourself, remember we talked in the beginning of this message, laws don't change. Jesus doesn't change. The Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, today and forever. That's Hebrews 13, 8. That means before time, God knew this. And Jesus is just going to stay the same. Every word is true. There is no other way to the Father but through him. You can't make up a way. You can't think God will, maybe will make a way later, or maybe he'll just say, mm, you know what, I'm going to put a little thing in here. I'm going to add to that. That's not going to happen. It's already written. Remember Jesus, it is written. I want you to hear me, and then I'm going to close this out. If that could happen, then we couldn't be making the proclamations we're making now. Because then Satan wouldn't have to leave when you say, it is written. 
Because if there's a closet, it could be changed. There is no clause like that. Because when it is written, it is final. It's how it plays out. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here this morning,